0: Thanks for tuning in right now. We want your attention for the next 20 minutes. You don't have to stick with us, but if you stay, you're going to get the answer to five questions that we're discussing about this week's sermon. It's an important opportunity for you to engage with the material you heard on Sunday. So stick around. Good morning. This is the Heat and Light Podcast. You have entered into the very first episode of the New Testament. We have been traveling through the 66 books of the Bible. uh, Got through to Malachi a couple weeks ago. Uh, Pastor Bob did an excellent message last week about how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament, the law and the covenants, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It was very good. So, Pastor Bob, now we're jumping in to the book of Matthew.
1: Tell us a little bit about how you approached it and what we're going to do today. Well, we're into the Gospel, so I'm looking at Matthew as one of the Gospels, Mm -hmm. and I think it's important for people just to know a little bit about why are there four uh, essential biographies of Jesus. And, uh, you know, Matthew's the first, but it's in the context of Gospel literature. And um, I just wanted to say that that Matthew is the first of the synoptic gospels which summarize the life of Jesus. Um, Scholars aren't inclined to call it a biography because it's a special type of biography. It's gospel literature. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, each have a portrait of Christ. And in some cases it seems like there's contradictions, uh, but but they are um, not contradictions, just different ways of looking at Jesus. And we can understand that even with modern... um, News newscasting, but the Gospel of John is in a category all by himself. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just the Gospel of John. It's not synoptic. It's theological. Um, having said that, let's get into Matthew mm-hmm. and um, just talk about five discourses. That's what we did for Math for the Gospel of Matthew. Rather than look at one passage, um, I thought there are five distinct discourses recorded in Matthew from Jesus uh, that make Matthew fairly unique, and I also made a little summer uh, comparison uh, with the Gospel of Matthew and the the Torah, the the five books of the uh, Old Testament, Um, each of which in the Old Testament, the books of Moses, prepare people for life in the covenant.
0: You, you did uh, have a comparison, and I, maybe I didn't pick this up, maybe you can just correct me. Was there a thematic linking between each of the books and the five
1: discourses, or was it simply the, the five division? Uh, I made a link. I'm not sure it was in the mind of Matthew, but I think the whole theme of Matthew is Jesus Christ as the King, Okay, and so the discourses have to do with what is life like in the kingdom, just like in the Torah, the five books of Moses, um, it described life in the covenant, the and, old covenant.
0: And that's an important distinction because what we see Jesus talking about when he was in his life uh, speaking and teaching was proclaiming the kingdom. So the gospel really was the, the message means. of the rule and reign of God uh, coming through Jesus as the Messiah, the Messianic king. So, and that's that's kind of important because when we only think of gospel in sort of uh, salvation language, yeah, right? Uh, soteriological language. To get technical there for a second, but we we maybe miss something about just the basic notion is when we're speaking about Jesus to other people, we're saying there's a kingdom, Jesus is the king, God is in charge, and we need to. Submit
1: into that kingdom, mm-hmm. and that brings us the greatest joy. Yeah, and the discourses just describe what what the um, subject of Christ lives like. What what is distinct about him? So let's just um, my questions basically come out of those five discourses. Okay, five so I'll questions. ask you yeah. the first one, and we'll go from there.
0: Mm-hmm. Why does Jesus say it is a blessed thing to be hungry and poor? Are the poor more just? More justified,
1: more good in the sense mm-hmm. of, to use terrible English, than the wealthy. Mm-hmm. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I just took the one concept in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, but the whole of the Sermon on
0: yeah. the Mount is often sort of a, a proclamation of this upside down kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This sense that that what the earth sees as valuable the kingdom of God
1: sees as worthless and then elevates what the Mm -hmm. world sees as worthless. Mm -hmm. And I think what Jesus is, I know what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that there's anything uh, meritorious about being poor, Mm -hmm. there's nothing good about being poor. No, because in the
0: Psalms and Proverbs and much of the Old Testament we have Righteous poor and unrighteous poor,
1: as well as we have righteous rich and unrighteous rich. So when Jesus talks about poverty here, it's the poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, When a person is poor materially, and he knows it, he just comes to a place where he looks at himself differently, Uh, I'm poor, this is me, there's no pretension, I'm poor. And in order to enter the kingdom of God, a person has to acknowledge the truth about himself, that he is spiritually poor, in fact he's worse than poor. He's wretched. And Jesus is saying that people who go through that crisis, that is stirred up by the Holy Spirit, by the way. People don't naturally beat themselves up um, over their sin. They beat themselves up over how they perceive other people mis- mistreating them. Mm. And they're mad at other people for their condition. Uh, but Jesus says, blessed are the people who own it. And say, I am what I am because of who I am. And that's the kind of person who looks to Jesus... As um, a healer, someone who can forgive and be merciful, and, and the Scripture says they will be filled, they will be satisfied. But you have to come with that kind of hunger first. Hmm, that's interesting. Question number
0: two is: What must a person acknowledge to gain access to the kingdom of Christ? Are you able to present a case for Christ that will lead? Do will lead to such an acknowledgment? We have a little typo there. Mm-hmm, yeah happens uh what must a person acknowledge to gain access to the kingdom of christ this
1: comes from the second discourse which is the the commissioning of the 12 okay okay and if you want to know what the mission of the gospel is of christians is it it has a lot to do with this commission and in it jesus uh sends his disciples out with a message and the goal of the message is to bring people uh, to acknowledge me Mm-hmm. To, who, who acknowledge, he who acknowledges me, I will acknowledge before my father. They were sort of made ambassadors
0: with the power of the king, so to speak, in this case to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to proclaim the good news. And then but,
1: but all of that, that leads in, to, will you acknowledge yeah, the king? Will you? This is his power. These are his credentials. Um, who wouldn't acknowledge it? Well, sinners can be pretty stubborn. But, but the point is that you bring these people who are uh, awestruck over the power of the Kingdom of God, you bring them to Jesus. Will you acknowledge Jesus? Mm-hmm. And um, in Matthew 16, you've got the classic acknowledgement from Peter. When Jesus says um, in Caesarea Philippi, he takes his disciples just away from the hustle and bustle into a basically a different country, Vegas as I mentioned. <laughs> Um, where you get away from things, and he said to Peter, "Who do you, who do you, will you acknowledge me? Who do you say that I am?" And then Peter says, "What? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a which is a very loaded statement. Thou the Christ. Well, the Christ, according to the all the prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about Christ, Jesus. Peter said, "You're Him," mm-hmm. according to scriptures, and you're the Son of the Living God, which is something that might not have been as clear to a Jew in that century studying uh, the prophecies concerning Christ. The Jews didn't necessarily believe that the Christ would be the unique son of God. But it is true in a clear
0: way. I mean, we have some ideas of that in Daniel and things of that nature. But yeah, but it certainly was not the closest idea. Remember, their idea of the Christ was primarily a, a messianic king like David. So they're expecting
1: the same kind of thing as we yeah. had with David but, but they overlooked a, a lot of this prophecies and uh, it was there mhm so Jesus says to Peter Peter you get this you're right I am the Christ the Son of the living God but but your ability to discern that is because of the spirit of God flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father and so when someone acknowledges Christ truly, not just as a historical figure, but they acknowledge him truly, is to acknowledge who he really is and all the implications that God, the eternal God, came down, was born of a woman, lived his life, did everything that the Christ would do. Uh, if you acknowledge Christ really and truly, you're going to kneel and surrender your life to him. Mm-hmm.
0: And that requires a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of that person. Um,
1: which which I'm just I just want to in a pastoral sense encourage our people that that you want to fit into this paradigm of of missional living people to live in such a way to explain the the, the universe if you will, creation in such a way that you bring people to Jesus. That's our work. Mm-hmm. We're, we're to interpret creation in such a way that people acknowledge Jesus. And you, you, you have to find a way to do that. You cannot ignore the commission that is on our light to bring people to Jesus. And that's where speaking plainly as Christians really comes
0: in key. If you believe and interpret the world with a Christian worldview, speak freely to your friends and neighbors about how you are believing and interpreting the world, rather than let them make statements that have their interpretation of the world, and you never bother saying, you know, that's interesting, but as a Christian, I believe this mm-hmm. is what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. People often in our in our diverse uh, society, I know we struggle with Christians being not treated fairly, but often if you're sitting down with a friend who's your friend, and you say, as a Christian, this is what I believe, nine times out of ten, they're actually not going to come at you with a stick. They're going to hear unless you out. Unless you're an idiot. It, no, unless you're an idiot, Right. And, and this is an opportunity for you to be winsome, for you mm-hmm. to be plain-spoken, exactly. and for you to just simply say what you really believe. Don't hide it. Because they actually know that you disagree with them, but you don't respect them enough to just tell them up front why. Mm-hmm. That creates more division than being yeah. up front. be honest. So the question number uh, three we have here is that we're discussing the significance of of selling all to obtain the treasure of the kingdom mm-hmm. citizenship isn't the gospel free now so you're referring to the third discourse here which you categorized as um uh in founded in 1345 treasures of the kingdom subject all these parables that talk about getting something of infinite value mm-hmm. why don't you tell us more about that
1: yeah, I think not only does it describe how we come into the kingdom of God, but how we value the kingdom of God. In in this story, Jesus is saying, if you find something of great value, more worth more than what you have, mm-hmm. um, lowball the owner. You know, uh, give everything you've got in exchange for something worth far more. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 kind of sneaky how in, in Middle Eastern you know, culture, how you would pull something like that off. And Jesus is just simply describing the way things really were in those days. So if, if I, for instance, I found in your backyard, uh, something, uh, I was a, like, a what did you find in my backyard? A, a dead sea scroll. <laughs> okay. I find it in there. Then I'm going to say, okay, Nathan, can I buy your property? I'll give you a, you might even give me a really good price. I'll knowing a, that what's there is it's worth, worth so much more. So, you know, I mean, that's anyway, uh, so Jesus is saying that's the way it is with the kingdom of God. You by the way don't do business with this. <laughs> you stumble across, you stumble across something, and you say, "This is this is amazing. I, I'm going to give everything I've got. I'm going to, uh, in exchange for this." Hmm. And Jesus says, y- "You need to see the kingdom of God that way, as something that is uh, worth all of your idols, all of your toys, all of your dreams, lock, stock, and barrel. You want it more than anything else."
0: Amen. And that's like, that's what is encapsulated in the idea of death to self. You know, last night, just to give you a practical example, I'm putting my kids to bed. They're just getting a little wild. And I am. Come by it honestly. I am, yeah. And I am sick of parenting. And and I was starting to get grouchy. And I had to say to them, you know what, guys? I, I don't want. I like my life to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I'm getting. Frustrated and angry with you is because you're messing with my peace. Yeah. And my response to them is anger because I'm offended, not care because I want them to know how to behave themselves and, and, and serve those around them. I'm more interested in them serving me. And so I had to kind of confess this and then move on and, and, and came to the word together, you know, it seems silly, but but mm-hmm. we don't realize how often we're operating out of a sense of I need to be served rather than some righteous moral desire to see the world around us to become a better
1: place. And what what Jesus is saying here is that not only do you do you at the initial encounter, choose Christ above everything else but that you continue to appreciate the value of Christ. Mm-hmm. You've got him now. Um, don't hide him under a bushel or put him in a warehouse somewhere, but uh, constantly be overwhelmed at the score that you made in coming to Jesus, this incredible value. And, and what happens so often is that Christians uh, devalue. Once they're in, they devalue the kingdom. Yeah. And they begin to live like what you just said, uh, by a different standard. And uh, we, we just need to constantly remind ourselves that when we have Jesus and, and passport in the kingdom of God, uh, we've got something to sing about.
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my brother here a bone. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus, and I don't know the words, than to be, be the king, king of a vast domain, domain, or be held in sin's dread sway.
1: I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world to me, I can't remember all the lyrics,
0: but it's a great song, and I'd started a little higher than great song. But great uh song. that's what we do here at Morningstar. We we sing the, the old hymns randomly. I'm just giving okay. it Okay. Now, number four. <laughs> Question number four. Question number four. What is the key to
1: the experience of unity of the kingdom of Christ? Okay, in this mm. parable, in this parable, Jesus talks about um, A slave who owed an unpayable amount, an unpayable amount. He was forgiven, happily forgiven. He goes out and he meets a friend or someone in his orbit that owes him just a small amount. And the spirit of generosity has quickly left him. And now he looks at this guy and says, you better pay me everything that you owe or I'll put you in jail. Okay, and when the, the first master heard about that, he comes to the guy and says, I, I don't understand this. I, I forgave you a fortune. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that you can not translate that into a similar generosity to your friend? Here's the deal. This is unacceptable. And uh, he kind of withdraws everything, throws the guy out. The end is a terrible ending for the guy. Um, And the point of the parable is that Jesus says, My people need to be distinguished Mm -hmm. by um, an overwhelming sense of having been forgiven much. And consequently, when people in the family offend us, and that's inevitable. Yes. When they offend us and the seeds of schism are there division are there because that's that's what happens when I get offended I, I separate uh, but instead of that happening what happens is that we've said oh this is crazy I we have been free I have been forgiven so much mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow this offense whether you apologize or not I'm not going to allow this offense to destroy the unity in the body of Christ and this I'm, is I'm gonna forgive this is so important because I think when when people
0: say I like your Jesus but not your followers this is actually the key sin this is the sin that that engenders that comment which is I don't actually live by the forgiveness mm-hmm. that I've been given mm-hmm and uh, that's broad reaching some of the implications of that are going to really test you because you will not like them oh my goodness it is not easy to uh, to forgive others at times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but when, we, when we've realized and I've said this many times the cross is the most pointed uh, explicit criticism that you mm-hmm. can ever receive and so the criticism of any other human is going to be Nothing. You can you can take it. You can listen to it. You can
1: accept what's good in it and reject what's bad. In, in it. fact, what we say to this offender is that if if you knew the truth about me, you'd be a lot harder on me than you are. So it's we just can't go there. and yeah. be
0: unforgiving. What does Tim Keller say? Your sin is more terrible than you could ever believe, but in Christ, you're more loved than you could ever dare to dream. Mm-hmm. Question number five, how can we live so as to be commended when Jesus returns? So this is the final
1: discourse, the Olivet Discourse, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of stuff about the future in this passage. The end of the age, the coming of the Son of Man. We know, by the way, that when King King Jesus came in fulfillment to the prophecies, in a sense, the kingdom of God went wherever Jesus went. Mm -hmm. He brought it with him. But we know that Jesus went away, right? And um, in in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about when when the when the King comes in all of His glory, which is a future thing. So whatever whatever it meant when He came uh, in the first century is not a glorious thing. It's not in power. We as citizens of the kingdom um, are in an occupied territory by the God of this age, mm-hmm. Satan. Our king is not on the throne of this earth in a, in a tangible way. Uh, but in, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus looks to the future and says, When I come, mm-hmm. in all my power, and all my glory, here's what's going to happen. You who are my sheep as opposed to the goats. And so there's a separation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think up until that time, there's been some kind of um, unity between the sheep and the goats. Well, and, the kingdom of Israel was a mixed multitude. Not everyone of Israel was Israel. And they that, we're not all believing. And that's the, that's the way it is in the church, too. Uh, we've got a lot of things that we tolerate, wittingly or unwittingly. And Jesus says, when I come back, I'm going to separate that. And to the goats, they go into eternal perdition. To my sheep, I'm going to say, blessed are you. Um, you, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was... Um, sick, you you visited me. I was in prison, so on. He says all of this, and they said, when did we, when did we t- see you and do all that? When you did it to the least of these, my brothers, hmm. you did it to me. And so, I think what is being said here is that the reward of the king's subjects um, is not so much because of the good things that we did. The good things that we do to our brothers issue out of an experience a genuine experience of rebirth with the king so that we love the things that the king loves and the king loves his own now we need to get this very clear this is not saying that the people who are altruistic are going to be commended by jesus mm. it's saying that the the jesus people the covenant people the born again people the children of the living god people who have acknowledged jesus express that through a, uh, a genuine love for the brothers. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. It's not to say that we don't love godless people. God loves the world, but there is a, a, an entirely different love that we have for people in the family of God simply because of Jesus. Yes. And so Jesus is saying, those are the ones who I will say enter into the joy of the Lord. Um, and this is the uh, the reward of the king's subject is basically heaven and all of the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the kingdom of God hmm. well that is our discussion for today
0: we are so glad you joined with us uh, wanted to keep it a little bit shorter for you and hopefully this can be something you can watch right to the end so thanks so much for joining us at the Heat and Light podcast and we'll see you next week have a great one Bye-bye. Bye bye bye